Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files, the woman who feeds the world, Earthring Cousin heads up the United Nations World Food Program. Today, nearly 800 million people around the world are undernourished, and one in three suffer from malnutrition. Earthrin's mission is one that most would call impossible, to end hunger in our lifetime. But she doesn't see it that way. She's a force of nature, and the story of how she got here from the west side of Chicago is remarkable. Here's my conversation with the woman who sees poverty on the front lines every day. Earthling Cousin, thank you for being here. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for wanting to do it. It's great to see you again. The last time we sat down was three or four years ago at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. You were just a a year or two into your role running the World Food Program at the United Nations. This is a, a huge job, a critical job, a heartbreaking job. Um, the UN World Food Program helps so many people, but for everyone out there, just give us a sense of the magnitude of mm-hmm. the crisis right now. Yeah, I, it's, where did it begin? The challenge is, this is 2017, and we're facing four, four possible famines. Northeast Nigeria, because of the conflict with Boko Haram and the lack of access into the areas that Boko Haram controls means that over two million people could potentially fall into famine. In South Sudan, we've already declared a, a famine in three counties in Unity State in South Sudan, and there are another 3.4 million people who are at risk of famine if we don't have the resources and the access to the population in need. Mm -hmm. Somalia, again, after the famine in 2011, again, we're facing impossible famine because of lack of rain for two years. But that now is complicated by Al-Shabaab, the terrorist group, which again is an access question. And so you have 2.9 million people in Somalia, 900,000 of them are in pockets of areas that are controlled by Al-Shabaab, which means that humanitarians can't provide the food assistance that's required. And of course, Yemen. (laughs) which is the world's most difficult situation right now. You just came off a trip, was it to Yemen? To Yemen, where you have approximately 14 million people who are food insecure because of the conflict, and 7.4 million of those people who are severely food insecure. And again, because of access, the ongoing fighting, that we, our access is limited to the people who need our assistance most. Your mission is bold. Many would call it unachievable. You don't see it that way. What is your mission, Earthrin? My mission is to end hunger in the world. Simple as that. It's to make sure that every mother has the ability to feed her child the nutritious foods that's required mm-hmm. so that child can lead a full and, 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 and prosperous life. You oversee these operations that, that feed 85 million people a year in 77 different countries. Over 70 million of those are women and children. So mm-hmm. much of this centers on, on women, and we'll talk about that as we get into this more. You're here in New York to 
you know, for the work you do at the UN, you just received this Power with Purpose Award. When you think about your purpose as you near the end mm -hmm. of your five-year term leading WFP, what is it? My purpose is to ensure that the world keeps faith about what is possible. During times like the ones that I've just described to you, it's easy for the world to say it can never happen. My responsibility is to ensure that the world knows that we have the tools, like no other time in our history, to actually achieve the goals of every child having enough food to eat. But do we have the tools? Because, you know, the new budget from the White House has just been unveiled. And what it shows is some major, major cuts. Now, we don't know what it'll mean for the UN. We don't know what it'll mean for WFP. But we do know that it means a lot of big, multi-billion dollar proposed cuts to some major federal agencies. What's your reaction to that? My reaction is that the budget, unfortunately, doesn't reflect the values of the American people. The American people don't want to see anyone suffer needlessly. And the U.S. is one of the most generous countries in the world. And uh, I am hopeful that as we move through the budget process that members of Congress will recognize the value of ensuring the stability of countries by, by providing the support that is necessary so people have access to food. So that's an argument that I've even heard, uh, you know, Marco Rubio made a similar argument. When mm -hmm. you have instability because of a lack of these programs that help stabilize <clears throat> these countries like where, you know, where you have been recently, um, that actually helps in the military effort, right? And so it's not just giving more to defense spending that makes this country safe. It's also, they would argue, programs that stabilize these countries, which have nothing to do with military defense. You're absolutely right. It does have to do with military defense, though, because food insecurity is, is always a part of one of the drivers to instability in countries. To hopelessness breeds instability. And the 200 generals who who wrote to this administration to say don't cut diplomacy and development yeah. recognize the value of humanitarian support to their military cause to their military um, cause you've seen shocking things you've seen horrifying things i've never seen anything like what you've seen i remember you telling me about watching a mother feeding her child a water lily mm -hmm. i mean that must be what gets you out of bed every single morning mm -hmm. every single day it does, because you know we can do better. You know that I've never taken a picture of a starving child, a child with flies on their eyes, because the American people have seen too many of those pictures, or people around the world have seen too many. I take pictures of fat, healthy babies where we're making a difference, because it's important that people say, see what is possible, and when you see what is possible, you recognize the value of the investments that we're making. Do you feel like too many Americans feel disconnected from a crisis? And by that, it's important to make the distinction between disconnected and not caring. Right. Those pictures of children with their bloated bellies mm -hmm. because they haven't gotten enough nutrition and mm -hmm. flies on their eyes, they break our hearts, but we don't necessarily feel connected to them. How can we become more connected to them? I think it becomes important that people like you, Poppy, and that's why it's so important that we have these kinds of conversations, continue to bring the world closer to Americans. So people understand that there's very little difference in them and us. Mm. The same thing that a mother in, on the west side of Chicago wants for her child is exactly what the mother in, in Unity State wants for her child. 
Our values are the yeah. same. We may look different, we may pray differently, mm -hmm. but we all want the same things for our children. You and I are both mothers. Mm -hmm. um, I cannot, talking to you now for me is different than when I talked to you three or four years ago before I was a mother because, mm -hmm. um, gosh, I just think about my own daughter being in the circumstances of the children you see. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about you because you bring up the west side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about who, what made Earthrin cousin who, who you are. You grew up. Your neighborhood, if you look at the census data, was, you know, poverty, you know, below the poverty line, mm -hmm. right? But your parents mm -hmm. never allowed you to see the world that way. No, they didn't. My parents were committed that their daughters would not have ceilings on their dreams, that where we started would not determine where we finished. And so they would drive us out of the neighborhood into other neighborhoods so that we could see what was possible. They would, any program I ever wanted to participate in, my parents found a way to mm -hmm. enroll me in it. Drive along the Gold Coast, they call <laughs> Gold it in Coast Chicago. of Chicago, out to the suburbs to see the big houses where other people live, to know that's possible. And they, they education was so important to them. Yeah. And they invested in our education. We were the Catholic school girls in the neighborhood. And uh, even when they couldn't afford it, they stretched to make sure that we could. Mm -hmm. And as a result, opportunities opened up. So let's talk about those opportunities. So you, you go to college, then mm -hmm. you go on to law school, mm -hmm. and you're told, all right, this is what, the 80s? It's the 80s. You're told, all right, if you really want to make it, mm -hmm. you got to dress like a man, talk like a man, walk like a man. Do you do that? Of course we did. <laughs> they, I was talking to somebody about this last night. Remember, the, you're too young for this, Poppy. Dressing for success. We all wore the little silk bow ties, yeah. gray suits, white shirts, because that was dressing for success. I actually had someone tell me one time, don't let your sex detrimentally impact your Ooh. legal argument for your client. But then you went into this interview, right, at a big law firm, and you rebelled. I mean, you were like in a red... Red suit, red that dress. That was actually seven years into my career. All right. By this time, you're feeling good about you know you people know who you are in the, in the community in the legal community. And I was going to for I was applying for a post at AT and T as their director of government affairs. All right. And I wore a red button uh, a red uh, coat dress, but I knew that my competence outweighed what I was wearing, mm -hmm. and I was given the job on the spot. Um, and so women who come behind me aren't burdened by what they wear and they can flourish. Mm. And that means that we're making a difference and, and times are changing. So you got the job mm -hmm. and then you, you tried your hand at politics, <laughs> local politics, <laughs> Chicago politics. That's a tough, that's a tough uh -huh. run, right? Uh -huh. What was the biggest lesson learned from that run? that you need to know how to count votes. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best yuppie buppy campaign the city of Chicago had ever seen because you had young people working together across racial lines, across community lines to elect me to the water reclamation district, low ballot, low visibility, uh, without party support. And so I did really well in the areas that you'd expect me to do. On the, in the inner cities, on the Gold Coast, in those communities, uh, the, the votes came out in support of me, but I lost big in the solid Democratic ethnic communities around the city. Mm. But what happened was the Democratic Party said, let's go get her, let's train her. 
And I became a part, I, I learned a lot then about elections and actually how elections are, how elections are, are, are won as opposed to just running. Um, the, the, uh, you need to know how to count enough where your voters are mm -hmm. in order to win. You also, I remember you saying, learned about the importance of surrounding yourself with folks that don't think like mm -hmm. you and don't agree with you. None of us get better because we got yes men around us, yes. right? Yes, that's absolutely true. And that is something that has served me well when I was running for office as well as working at yeah. the World Food Program, is you need to have people with a diversity of experiences, a diversity of knowledge, and surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you and being comfortable with that. That's what good CEOs do, right? All They're the not time. threatened by people smarter than them. Not at all. You know? Um, so then... Uh, you go and you work in the Clinton White House, mm -hmm. and then you help President Obama mm -hmm. in his campaign. Let me read you a, a headline from one of the articles out of The Telegraph. All right, this is headline. She's friends with the Obamas. She rose from poverty to run the World Food Program, and she plans to end global hunger in our lifetime. No pressure, Arthur, no pressure. <laughs> what do you think when you read a headline like that? I think, who in the world are they talking about? <laughs> you know, the The... I appreciate all press because it talks about not me, but the work and the people that I serve. And so that's fine. But the reality of it is I have never confused who I am with the job that I'm serving in. And that gives you the ability to continue to grow mm -hmm. and to see yourself beyond your own clippings. Yeah. You also have been very true to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You have a son. Mm-hmm. As a, as a young single mother, mm -hmm. you know, there, there, there are times when you just got to bring your kid to work. Yep. And, and back then it was not as socially accepted as it is now. Mm -hmm. You did it anyways. What I was sure. that about? Uh, it was about reality. And uh, we couldn't afford, I was working in a community law firm. I couldn't afford childcare. And, and, and so there was a, an office in the back of the offices that he would come in and he'd do his homework and he'd go next door and buy an, an after school snack. And when I finished, we'd get in the car and we'd drive home together. And we did that for a number of years. Um, you have the choice of leaving your child at home alone or bringing your child with you. Yeah. And I was always blessed that I had employers that understood that they were going to get the best out of me if I was, wasn't concerned about the welfare of my child. So through all those jobs until now, through your time in the White House, through your time you know, helping President Obama get elected, is this your most important role? Every role is important because I've always worked to make a difference in everything that I've done. Whether it's working in retail food and helping build stores in, in inner cities around the country, or it's, it's working with the, with the, uh, the food banks in, in the United States and addressing the challenges in, in Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Um, but this job, all those other opportunities that I've had in my career gave me the qualifications to lead 14,000 people yeah. to support 80, 80 million people around the world. What is it like to carry the weight of this job and these lives on your shoulders when you go fight for money? Mm -hmm. uh, Angela Merkel, Chancellor Merkel said to me, 
when she gave us the largest contribution mm. ever to WFP for Syria, she said, it must be really hard just going around the world begging all the time. And to have someone of her stature recognize the work that we do to ensure that we have the resources that are necessary was quite humbling. Yeah. And it, it keeps you up at night. Yeah. When we had to stop the food distributions in Syria in 2015 because we didn't have enough money. Yeah, unreal. It was one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make in my entire career. But that's what happens when you don't have the resources. And so we work hard to build, to, to build the reputation for getting it done, mm -hmm. to ensuring that governments know that their taxpayer dollars are being well spent when they invest in WFP and that people, we're making a difference in people's lives. When we hear about, you know, humanitarian aid can't get in because these, you know, barrel bombs are dropping mm -hmm. on Aleppo, and mm -hmm. I mean, that's you guys. That, that's this, is, this is what the work that you, that you do. You spend a great deal of time in these refugee camps all around the world, especially in the big Syrian refugee camps in Jordan. Uh, from what you see, does the United States and other developed economies uh, contribute enough? The world has never been more generous. Last year was the... The, the world's also never been as rich. And the world, we've never had as many disasters at one time and challenges at one time since World War II. And uh, so the, we need to, to balance between our own domestic issues, mm -hmm. because we do need to take care of our domestic issues. Of course but also recognize that we live on a very small planet. Sounds like a diplomatic way of saying no, we don't give enough. <laughs> I mean, and I don't just mean the United States, I mean rich folks around the world, rich countries. We need everyone to continue to provide the support that is necessary mm -hmm. to ensure that we have the, enough resources so that we don't need to do what I, we were forced to do last year in Yemen, and that is to cut the ration to 35%. Mm. Um, just enough to keep people alive. Let's talk about the solutions, because uh, they're out there and, and they're happening all around us. There are beautiful things you see as well as horrific things that you see. You've often talked about women, mothers, women being such a huge part of achieving this goal of zero hunger. Why is that? When women have access to the food that is their family needs, children eat. When uh, 60 to 70 percent of smallholder farmers are women, when women have access to the tools and education and the, the, the seeds that are necessary, then uh, families prosper. And so investing in women uh -huh. is the key to supporting the progress that is necessary in many of the countries where we work. You've said women make the difference. I, I said it because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still true. And the too often, we, in too many societies, women lack access. They, they lack access, access to education. They lack access to, they, they lack access to financing. Mm -hmm. um, and in too many countries, what I see is women eat last. Um, and as a result, babies are born underweight. 
And so that affects the future opportunities of that child. Mm -hmm. So all of those are, again, factors that affect the stability of a family and ultimately of a community and of nations. Take us into some of the moments that have touched you the most over this five-year span running the World Food Program. I mean, I, I recall you talking about hearing these children, despite their circumstances, singing, mm -hmm. We Shall Overcome. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. I was in, in, in Bangladesh, and uh, in, a, in, in the Bangla region of Bangladesh, which is the poorest region in Bangladesh, and we had a school meals program. And the children they do what you do when you go and visit. They, they had a show, they danced, they performed, they gave me a picture that they'd painted of WFP serving in their schools. And then they sang, We Shall Overcome, in English. And I had press with me, and I started to cry. Huh. And I never cry. When I see babies dying, I don't cry because people, I need to, to be strong. But people didn't understand why I was crying. I cried because these children believed that because we were there, their lives were going to be different. Mm. The hope made you. The hope made me cry. When has your heart broken? <sighs> My heart broke. I tell you, I was in a camp, a South Sudanese refugee camp, for where I met that mother who had who had fed um, water lilies to her child. But in that same camp, I was talking to a doctor from MSF, and this mother started to wail. Médecins sans frontières, doctors yes, without borders. doctors without borders. And this mother started to wail, just screaming. And he said, we lost one. Hmm. He said, she walked here for two days, and she had... Uh, an infant with her that was less than six months old and the baby was completely dehydrated and uh, completely undernourished. She could no longer breastfeed um, and the baby died just as she got into the camp. The baby died and we're all standing there and you knew we'd failed. We'd failed because we couldn't get to her before her baby died. Mm -hmm. And you realize the need for urgency and providing the, the support that is necessary because people are going to do everything they can. Yeah. They just ask for a little help. Those are the extremes. Those are the horrors that you see. Mm -hmm. And it is also wonderful to see a lot of countries giving a lot of money and help and aid, including the United States. I'd be remiss not to bring up what is also a hunger crisis in this country, right? Mm -hmm. It is not uh, just that one in five uh, uh, American children rely on food stamps for their meals, right? Mm -hmm. That in, you know, in some cities like Bridgeport, Connecticut, where I've reported, you know, it was 40% of mm -hmm. kids, right? So uh, I know your focus is overseas, but talk a bit about this food insecurity in this country, the richest country on earth. Right. The Chicago Food Depository, the Feeding America program works to support the food assistance programs in the United States. One in four people in a food assistance line in the United States is a child. One in four. Um, the backpack programs that provide 
food to children yeah. on the weekends. Yeah, at these schools or in the summer, it helps yes. them out when they don't have the meals provided yes, at their school. at their school. Yeah. And it gives them something to take home. Yeah. And I remember once, well, and because I, I'm as committed to domestic hunger relief as I am to international yeah. hunger relief. It started at home, and that's where I started on these programs. And so I remember working in a, in a school and going to visit a school in Kentucky where they were dis distributing the backpacks. Yeah. And this young, this young boy looked into the backpack, and it had um, snacks and, and um, other canned foods and things. And he opened it up, and he looked at it, and he said, sweet. Oh. You know, and the smile that broke out on his face. And the teacher told me the difference that this backpack program, giving children food to take home on the weekends because they, weren't, they didn't have school meals yeah. during, the, during the weekend. Mm -hmm. She said the difference that it made was when a child came in on Monday morning, they were ready to learn. Yeah. Because they had eaten on Sunday Thanks. night. That's exactly. You never seem to see defeat. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I grew up in a household where defeat was not an option. You know, my mom and dad believed that we make our own destiny. Mm -hmm. You do the work and you keep moving forward. And I, that was ingrained in me. And I believe in that and I, 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 I work with my staffs in the same way. Have a plan A, plan A doesn't work, you have a plan B. You keep moving forward. Mm. What, what do you say to, to Americans listening and thinking, I don't know, I, I give to UNICEF, I give when I see those ads on TV, but I don't really feel like I can really make a difference. Every person makes a difference. You make a difference if you can't afford to give by caring and making sure that your elected officials know that you care. Mm -hmm understand that you recognize how small our planet is and that we need to invest in the food security of people over there to ensure security and opportunity here. In 2015, the latest numbers we have on this, there were 16 million food insecure households, according to the USDA, 16 million. How do, how do we square you know, solving for that along with this administration's, you know, America First Doctrine, mm -hmm. which, would, which would focus on those homes mm -hmm. versus the crisis you see overseas. Is there enough to go around? There is enough to go around. I worry when leadership sees the need to invest more in defense. Yes, we should have a strong defense, but we already spend more on defense than any other country in the world. We have more military strength than everyone in the world. Cutting access to food, access to education, access to opportunity does not make us a stronger nation. What makes us a stronger nation is when we invest in our people here as well as in the lives of people over there. Because what will create prosperity and mm -hmm. opportunity is peace everywhere. And that doesn't come without everyone having equitable access to opportunity. So I know this is not, uh, look, this is not the administration. President Trump was not your choice, right? I mean, you're a Democrat. <laughs> but this is the president of all America, right? I agree. So if he picked up the phone or threw in any call to you or his team and said, come talk to us, come help us, A, would you take the meeting? And B, what would your advice be? You're absolutely right. 
Um, I, I voted for a different candidate, but I live in America and we have one president at a time. And anytime I can serve, I want to serve because that's what, when you have the talent and the ability, I want the opportunity yeah. to make a difference. And so I'd take that meeting, gladly. And I would say exactly to them what I'm saying to you, is that we don't want to become Spartacus, you know, modern day Spartacus. Mm. We want to invest in opportunity for all. And that includes investing in that child in Kentucky or on the west side of the city of Chicago. Yeah. So as you, as you end your five years leading WFP, how hard is it to walk away, right? This is how long the term is. Mm -hmm. um, I say I'm sad, but I leave with no regrets mm -hmm. because we worked as hard as we could to do as much as, we could, as, as much as was possible for as many people as we could touch. Does it resonate with you that you've saved lives? I mean, I've never, I don't save lives. Most of us don't save lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, do, do, does that sink in? Uh, it makes you humble. But it, I work with 14,000 brave and, and amazing people. And to have the ability to lead a team that gets up every day working to save lives, you know you're making a difference in people's lives around the world in some of the toughest places. It does make you smile. And when you say to those who much is given, much is required, yeah. I can say, okay, right. I'm doing my part. But you don't ever stop. And what I know now is I'm changing chairs, but my commitment is no less today mm -hmm. than it was the first day that I walked into WFP. You are a powerful woman. Do you think of yourself as one who is powerful? I think of myself who is, uh, I think of myself as one who is access. With that access comes responsibility. Right. And uh, so the power for self-aggrandizement has no value to me. And no, I have no interest in, in, in such an opportunity. Mm -hmm. But if I can make a difference in the life of someone who would never have an opportunity to sit with Poppy, and have a conversation. Or sit with then, Angela Merkel. And sing, <laughs> sit with Angela Merkel. Or maybe even one day President Trump. Yeah. To make a difference in the lives of those who don't have voice, mm -hmm. then I'll take that power and I'll use it well. So I can't help but think. Another run for office in the uh, future? <laughs> I think I'm all out of running for office. Yeah. I want to make a difference. And working with those who have been elected to office to help shape policy mm -hmm. that can make a difference, I see myself in that role. Well, if you do run, you better come back here and give us an interview, okay? <laughs> what do we not know about Earth and Cousin? Ooh. that I'd rather curl up with a good novel than dress up with his makeup and hair <laughs> and sit in a room with a lot of powerful people any day of the week. I think that makes two of us. <laughs> Let's end on this. Who's your hero? The easy answer is my mom because she believed. She believed in these four little girls on the west side of the city of Chicago that 
we could do something different and she could help us. And uh, there's so many mothers like her. And she had the opportunity and ability to do it. Mm -hmm. So I, I am proud to say I'm her daughter. But there's so many women who are my heroes. Women who believe the exact same thing, who sit in huts and live in tents because they've had to leave their homes, who are my heroes. Because they don't ever give up on fighting for their children and fighting for what we all want and that's the opportunity—that's mm -hmm. the opportunity for prosperity that they can deliver to mm -hmm. their own families. I've never met a woman, a mother, who wanted to stand in a food line, but she will mm -hmm. if that's the only way that she can feed her children. A mother's fight for her child's life is unlike any other fight. It's like unlike any other fight. Northern cousin, thank you for what you've done for the last five years. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Boss Files. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Poppy Harlow CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.